If you're uh, with us and this is your first time, welcome to The Grove. Thanks for being with us. We're wrapping up a series today that's called One Another. It's a relationship series where we take these passages from Scripture. So Jesus made this statement about loving one another, and then all of his disciples who wrote books in the rest of the New Testament, they all also echoed that, and they gave us all these one another scriptures, right, to do things. So every week we've been taking one of these one another scriptures, and we've been kind of walking through them, and so today we're going to take another one and walk through that. Uh, but it's a relationship series, and the reason relationship this series is so important because as we ended 2020, through, because of COVID, because of the elections, all that things, uh, we, we thought it was really important for us to say, let's get our relationships on a track. Make sure our relationships are healthy, because if our relationships work, everything else works, right? If you get relationships right, everything else will follow. And if you don't get relationships right, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much fun you have, if your relationships are broken, all those things won't mean as much as they could because your relationships aren't working. And so we said, make sure our relationships work because our relationships, they determine who we are and who we're becoming, who we will become. So you're, you're, who you are now, the version of you, is because of the relationships that you've chosen. That could be a good thing, but that could be a bad thing. And so we're saying, let's get the right, right healthy people around us so we can um, become the person that God wants us to become, right? So Romans 12, um, this has been the verse that we've been using the whole, the whole series. Uh, Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. So make a commitment to one another in love and then honor one another above yourselves and so paul borrows from jesus because this is the statement jesus made he says a new command i give you and when he says a new command this is kind of the summary of all his commands in fact it's a summary of the entire bible so it's not like hey here's one command to add to the other 613 this is like the command that fulfills all of the other commandments so if you do get this right you actually can get everything else right it follows right so he says um this command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another. So Jesus gives them this one another passage, and then Paul echoes it in Romans, and John echoes it in the gospel, in his, his writings, and Peter echoes it many, multiple times. And he's saying, when you do this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. So if you do this, practice one another of loving each other, you actually prove that you're a follower of Jesus. And if you don't love one another, it actually proves that you're just a, uh, a Christian by, by word, not by deed or by heart. And God says, if you really know if you're a Jesus follower, make sure that you are Loving one another, and that proves that you actually are following Christ. So in the election cycles, right, we tend to um, like people who vote like us and not like people who don't vote like us. And Jesus is saying that's not how we gauge things. That's not how we determine if we should love others or not. We love them despite how they voted. We love them despite how they feel about whatever is going on in the world. We love one another. And when you do this, you actually prove that you're his disciple. And we said, well, if you don't know what biblical love looks like, biblical love is a decision to seek the well-being of another person. So if you're seeking the well-being of somebody else, you're actually practicing biblical love. And when it's, when it's a selfish motive behind it, that's not biblical love. That's a, it's for selfish gain. It's, it's, a, it's the wrong motivation. He's saying biblical love is always saying I'm going to seek the well-being of another as opposed to just seeking our own well-being at the cost or expense of others. And so we want to make sure that we get these right. So in this series, let's practice these one another's that, Paul, that Jesus invites us into and then Paul and John and Peter and all them remind us of to make sure we practice these. So there's multiples of these. Um, in fact, you can take one for every single week of the year, and you'll find a one another. Some are positive, and last week we talked about some of the negative ones, right, not to do. There's some, some negative one another that you shouldn't be uh, devouring and biting each other, right? You should be loving each other, encouraging each other. So, so today I want to take the next, uh, next one another that I want to end our series with. But before I do, um, I want to just talk a little about our relationships and how we approach relationships, all right, and why uh, we need to have the right perspective and approach or we miss out on uh, on, on healthy relationships. 
So there's this, there's there's a saying in construction, right? If you ever are going to remodel a house, do something new, build a house, whatever, um, there's these three words, and you have to choose one of them. They say, do you want it fast? Do you want it cheap? Or do you want it good? Right? And so you can only pick one. You can't have two. You can't have all three. It can't be fast, cheap, and good. It only can be one. So they'll tell you, all right, so do you want this fast? And if it's going to be fast, it's not going to be cheap, and it's probably not going to be very good, right? So who wants it fast? Well, then you probably won't have a good good, good construction, whatever takes place. Now, if you want it cheap, it's not going to be, it's not going to be very fast, right? Because there'll be somebody that really doesn't know what they're doing, and it's probably not going to be very good. But if you want it good, it's not going to be very fast, and it's not going to be very cheap, right? So you have to choose one. So in relationships, the same principle applies. You want to have healthy relationships? You want to have a good relationship? Well, they're not going to be cheap relationships. They're not going to be fast. It's going to take time. So in our in our this whole series, one thing I hope you hear is this: is that relationships are messy. They're difficult. They can be hard. They can be challenging. Right? There's sometimes tension in relationships. And if you see that as a negative, you'll always avoid relationships. You'll avoid conflict. You'll avoid the hard conversations. You'll avoid things that will help you become better. But if you realize and understand, relationships take work. Right? You want good relationships. They're going to be costly, and they're not going to just be fast. It takes time. Relationships are developed over time. Now, if you want a fast relationship, a cheap relationship, right, it's not going to ever be healthy or good. We have to choose to say, if I'm going to have healthy relationships, I need to choose to be an investor. I need to choose to be able to see it correctly. And our differences are actually a strength. They're not, they're not, they're not bad. See, if everybody looked like me, right, we'd have a lot of blind spots in this world because I don't see everything around me. I don't see exactly everything. It's not perfect. My, my worldview, my, vision, my, my perspective is not always the only perspective out there, not the best pers- perspective all the time. So if everybody was like me, we would actually be lacking some things. And if everybody was like you, we would be lacking things also. All of us have, we need one another, and the difference is to help us get better. My strengths are complementary to your strengths, and we could do a lot more together, right? That's what relationships are. If you want good ones, you have to see it that way, that tensions are natural. They're normal. It's going to take work. It's going to take in, uh, energy, right, to be able to invest and spend that on the right ones. So there was a study they did um, to find out how do relationships impact us, like psychologically, mentally. So they did this study. They had these students take a test on a computer, and they're going to take this test on it. And before the test starts, really quick, they flash the name of that student's father, the name of the, their father's name on the, on the screen, so quick that the students didn't even realize it. So subconsciously, they, they put that, that idea in front of them, right? So the, the name of the father comes up, and the students begin to take the test. And then after the test, they begin to interview these students and ask them questions about their family and their relationships. And specifically, they want to know, how's your relationship with your father, with your dad? And they found that there's a correlation that the students that had a good relationship and there was a good foundation and, and, and uh, relationship with their father – they worked harder and they tried harder on certain problems than the most average person would. They worked harder to like, impress their father, not even knowing that's what they're doing. And the students who had a negative relationship with their father gave up earlier, didn't try as hard, and in many cases were even maybe a little rebellious towards what they're asking. And there's a correlation. They said your relationships, not even knowing it subconsciously, impacts how you think, how you approach things. So when you choose a negative person in your life, and you allow that voice to be spoken into your life all the time. Like, for example, if you watch news a lot, right, that's an influence. And if the news station is always on, you're always watching whatever channel. It doesn't matter what channel it is because they're always on fear. They're always trying to get you to have an enemy, right? And so if, you only, if that's the only voice you're hearing, you're going to live in fear of everything because there's always something going on that's wrong and broken. And that influence will actually 
um, uh, influence your, your perspective of the world. So if it's always negative, 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 your worldview is going to be negative, 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 right? You're going to always just see those things. So how our relationships are and who we allow to speak into it, they play a big, big role in our lives. They help us to be better or to be worse, to, to push harder through things or to give up when it gets hard. So our relationships are very, very important. And we want good ones. That means it's going to take time and it's going to take energy and, and finances is going to take that. In my relationship with my wife, right? If I want a, 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 um, you know, a good relationship, it's not going to be cheap. It's going to take energy. It's going to take planning, right? And it's going to take just these, these moments of, of investing into it. Um, in, in, um, in, in, our, in, in Scripture, the Bible says that there's three um, institutions that God has given us to help us um, become a better version of ourselves. So there's three different kinds of relationships the Bible talks about. One is family, one is marriage, and one is church. And all of these three things, they actually are meant to help us become a better version of ourselves, right? They help us die to self. They help us to grow up. They help us to mature, right? Um, they help us to fight against this urge to be self-centered because human nature always wants to make it about me, right? Um, self-centeredness. How many of you guys like hanging out with self-centered people? They're like, me, 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 right? I see everybody's heads like shaking, like, nope, I don't like those thing those people either. Nobody likes hanging out with self-centered people. Why? Because it's like a self-centered person think they own the world, and everybody else is paying rent, right? That's how they view the world. It's like, hey, you're in my way. You're in my space. You're taking up my air, right? Can you back up? It's like I'm more important. I'm, the, I'm, I'm it, right? And we don't t- generally um, gravitate towards those kind of people. They, they repel us usually. But that's human nature. And part of the reason is because the enemy wants to get so focused on self that we push people out. It's all about us, and we don't become healthy. We become by ourselves, right? And so in, in a family relationship, um, my job as a parent is to help my kids become mature, Right? So at some point, I need to help them grow up and be able to say no to things even when they could say yes. Yes, you could eat the candy, but too much candy is going to make you sick. Too much candy is going to give you deficiencies in other areas, right? So let's say no to something that might taste really good now so we can do something that's going to help us be, be healthier in the future, right? So let's, let's grow up and mature. Same for marriage, right? Marriage is this gift that God gives us that can be really challenging, but it's also a way that God uses to, to, for us to die to ourselves, right? Like, I want to have my way all the time. And sometimes my wife says, time out. Nope, you can't have your way this time, right? And sometimes it's like her, her self-centeredness is also saying, I want to have my way all the time too. And then we're like butting heads, right? And we can see as a bad thing or we can say, you know what? Maybe in the middle of this tension, we could figure out how to do life better. Maybe my way and your way is not the best way. Maybe there's another way. And we found in our marriage is that when we first got married, it was like we were always arguing about like, how to make the bed, right? Like, I learn this way, you learn that way. You know, how to do the toothpaste from the bottom, from the center, cap on, cap off, right? It was like, you have these arguments over toothpaste. You're like, why are you fighting over toothpaste, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't usually toothpaste or something else, but it became toothpaste, right? And there's all these little issues that pop up in our marriage, but they're helping us to die to that part of us that we say, and this is what we found. Sometimes when we decided something new, it wasn't always her way or wasn't my way. Sometimes it was like, in, not always in the middle. Sometimes it was more my way, sometimes more hers. Sometimes it was hers or sometimes it was mine. And we have to just learn to say, let's, let's learn how to navigate this together. How are we going to make two lives? How are we going to get two self-centered people to go in the same direction? Well, we have to be, have, a, have a vision for what we want to go, right? So if we're only going to go your way, well, that's gonna, we're always going to veer that way. If we're only going to go my way, then we'll always veer this way. But if we have a goal that we're together, we'll say, hey, I know you really want to do that, but our goal is there. So let's work together to get to that goal better than than whatever's in front of us, right? And so it, it, they're designed to help us become mature in the church. Like our job, my job as a pastor and the job as a church is to help people mature in the faith 
to grow up in the faith, right? So you start off as, the Bible even compares it to like a family, right? You start off as like a baby in the faith, right? A new, newborn, a new believer. But in time, you're supposed to grow up and mature and learn how to practice the things that God is asking you to practice. And our job is to help people mature. What's really interesting is that when you, when you look at culture, in every culture, there's three institutions that they always try to destroy over time. It, the world, if you go through history, this is what they're always trying to do. They're always trying to destroy the family. They're always trying to destroy marriage. Not as important as it should be, and they're always trying to stop the church. Throughout culture. You know why? Because we have an enemy who knows something about the family, about marriage, and the church. He knows that these relationships keep us healthy. These relationships help us mature. And he knows that when we have unity in any one of these, we are actually better in a, in, a, in a group of people than we are by ourselves. And so he knows if I can get the family to crumble, if I can get relationships to be broken, it's going to affect their whole future because now the past is, is baggage, right? And if I can uh, get a marriage to break and if I can cause marriages to, to, to struggle, right, and not see the, 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 the differences as a curse, not as a blessing, then, then I can keep them dis, disunified. And I can, I can get in there and work my way in. And then the church, if I can cause, cause division, if I can cause all these different things going on, right, he can cause us from getting distracted with sideways energy. We never make progress going forward. So he's very intentional in trying to bring down these three institutions, these relationships. He's just as intentional in your relationships to keep you away from good ones and to get you into negative ones. He wants you to be around people who are going to influence you to do negative, and he wants to keep you away from people that are going to do, do good. So in, in our one another's, the scriptures are telling us if you practice one another's, you're going to actually be better in these three things. You'll have better family dynamics if you're serving one another. You'll have a better marriage if you are not, not denying each other things that they need to have, right? You'll have a better uh, uh, body of Christ when you meet together and you encourage one another. It just it says something about us, right? We grow. And, 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 and with, with culture and even with, with, with human nature, we tend to try to isolate and disengage from these things. And especially with COVID, you know, that, that caused a lot of that. People kind of backed off. Like, right now in our culture, you could, you could live without having interaction with anybody, like physical interaction. You know, you, you get in your car, you drive into your garage, you close your garage, you never see your neighbors, right? You get on your phone or your computer, you order some food. They, now it's contactless. So you don't have to talk to them. They just drop it at your door, right? And then they leave and then you pick it up. It's like, you can live not talking to anybody. And that sounds like, well, that might be kind of nice, but it would not be good for you. None of us make good choices when we're alone by ourselves. We eventually just make it all about us. We're, we're designed. I love that, that science. I love that psychology has finally is catching up with Scripture. What Scripture has always said, it's not good for us to be alone, that we're better in community, we're better in healthy relationships. And so the Bible is always encouraging us, saying make sure you have healthy people around you so you can become a better version of yourself. And that's why God gave us these institutions, so we can become better. But a lot of times our human nature fights against these three things, right? We want... To, um, to just have our own way, and so we push against it. Uh, one of the books I was reading for relationships, uh, one of the, the author, Paul David Tripp, he says this. He says, when we're faced with a problem, right, we tend to look at human nature, tend to look at techniques for, for short-term solutions, right? And he says, but the fatal flaw of human wisdom is that it promises that you can change your relationships without needing to change yourself. So knowledge and wisdom of learning things, the fatal flaw is you become, like you know so much, that you tend to think it's everybody else's issue and it's never yours. This, this is the fatal flaw in, in, in getting wisdom and learning more and more is you tend to think it's everybody else but not yourself. Have you ever met a know-it-all? Like they could tell you everything what you're doing, but a lot of times they don't even practice it. Like, well, no, no. Like parents will tell, somebody will tell their kids like, hey, do what I say, don't do what I do, right? Like, no, no, don't do what I do, do what I say. Let me just tell you something. Our kids are going to do what we do. And a lot of times they're not even going to do what we say, right? Like, 
They're following our example, not just our words. That's how God designed it. We model for them what it's supposed to be. This is why I love Jesus so much. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you all these commands to go follow. Right here, I'm going to write you a list, go follow these. He said, hey, if you want to know what it looks like to follow, follow God and be what, what, what he wants you to be, look at my example. I'm going to live it for you. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to wash people's feet. I'm going to love the poor. I'm going to love the outcast. I'm going to take care of those who has nobody to take care of. And he says, now if you don't know what to do, follow my example. That's why we're called Christians, right? We're like little Jesuses. We're following Jesus' example. We're trying to become Christ-like. That's what Christian means. Is we're trying to be like Christ in every area of our life. So he invites us into that. That's, that's what he's saying. I'm going to give you an example. And so Paul David Tripp is saying, don't, when, you, when you only look at human wisdom, you tend to look for short-term solutions, and you usually have, it's not lasting satisfaction. It's a quick fix. And, 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 but when we seek God, right, he will actually help us to see something more. Let me, give you, let me maybe explain it like this. So human wisdom can be compared to a child who would choose um, something very immediate over something that's, that's more important. So my youngest daughter, right, if I went to her and I said, hey, um, would you like a sucker right now? Or would you like this many stocks in the, like, like 10 stocks in Apple, right? Like, what would, you, what would you like, Nova? Like, here, you get a Tuesday. A sucker or some stocks in Apple that you can cash in in a few years that would be worth probably a lot of money, right? Which would you choose? They would look at, like, she'd be like, what's a stock, right? And who wants the 10 years now? She'd be like, ah, Dad, I just want the candy, right? Because as a kid, she doesn't have the maturity to know this is very temporary and immediate, that would be very last, long-lasting and make a big impact. So for her, as an immature person, she's saying, I'm going to just choose what's, what's in front of me. That's kind of what human wisdom is kind of compared to. It's like the immediate that's in front of us where sometimes God is saying, you don't even understand the bigger picture. Let me help you see something, right? And this is where maturity comes in place. He says, just trust me. Say no to the candy now so you can have a lot of candy later, right? Like your stock's going to mature and it's going to grow and you'll be able to have a lot of good things. And this is how relationships work, right? We tend to get into this disagreement. We tend to get into the immediate, let's just fix it right now, my way or the highway, right? And it's like, no, no, sometimes it's time out. Let's figure out what's the best for the long term, right? So in a candy or some stock in a company that would give you a thousand times return, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis says the problem with human nature is we're, we are far too easily pleased with the things in front of us all the time, the immediate. And that's part of the problem is we want the immediate right now. Let's just make it feel good. Let's just go for what's in front of us. And God a lot of times saying if you want to have relationships, you have to look long-term. You have to plan for the long-term. You have to move forward. So let's look at the one another that I want to talk about today in Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews says this uh, in, in chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So let's consider this. Let's be aware. Let's, let's be thoughtful of how we may spur. Now this word, it could be a positive or a negative word. One other time it's used in the Bible, it's a negative. There was a conflict, and two people went in different directions because they couldn't resolve their conflict. This one, it's a positive of saying, uh, so spur, like, you know, cowboys, they wear these, these spurs on their boots, right? And they walk around. Well, if they're walking around making noise, it's probably just for show. But if they put them on, and they're on a horse, what do they use those spurs for? To, to dig into the, to make, irritate those horses, right? To, like, get them to do something, right? It, it's, it's like to motivate, to encourage, to challenge, so when he says spur, it's not like a, just a feel good, hey, just have people around you that just tell you what you need to hear. No, it's like let's figure out ways to challenge one another with our ideas. Let's figure out how to get people around us where they can, they can sharpen us, right? Like Nikki and Shan talked about, that iron clashing. It's sharpening us, but that's a lot of friction. That's a lot of tension. 
And so he's saying, let us motivate one another towards, notice, love and good deeds. This is how you know you have a good circle, right? If your friends that you're a group of people are with, if they're motivating you towards love and good deeds, it's a good circle. And if they're motivating you towards hate and towards just doing whatever feels good in the moment, it's not a healthy circle. They really don't care about you. They just care about having somebody to do whatever is easy with them in the moment. Because if they really cared about you, they say, you know, that's kind of destructive. Let's not practice that. And then he goes on and says this. Let's not meet, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all, and all the more as they see the day approaching. So he says, hey, there's this human nature issue that keeps creeping in, even in the church, where we tend to isolate. We tend to stop meeting with people that actually are good for us so we can do our own thing. Usually that's the, the issue is we want to do our own thing so we get away from people who are going to keep us from doing those things so we can get by ourselves. He's saying, let's not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging. Let's keep encouraging one another, right? And all the more, he says, as you see, and this is capital D, which means that's the return of Christ, that at some point Christ will come back. And if we have the right circle around us, we'll be able to stand before Christ one day and say, I did the best with what you put in my hands. I did the best I could with what you gave me, right? So, and all the more as the day is approaching, let's encourage one another. So he tells us, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, make sure that you get people around you that will encourage you to love and good deeds and don't stop meeting. This is, this is when we, we have groups, you know, every, every semester we have these, these groups that start up again because we want to encourage people to get better, right, to keep growing. So three things should happen when we meet together, whether it's a group or whether it's a church service, right? So he tells us, the writer of Hebrews says, the first thing that we should grow in is faith. Whenever we get together, whenever you read scripture, whenever you're in a small group, your faith should be encouraged because you're going to hear other stories. You're going to hear something that's going to encourage you, right? The, the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with the full assurance of what faith brings us. So we know that when we do what God asks us to do, there's going to be good results, okay? We're going to grow in our faith. The second thing he says, we should grow in hope. Now, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So there's a hope that says, we know it's going to get better. Right? Whatever we're going through, we're, we're going to get better. Uh, they did a study with marriages, and they, they, they found that um, if, if a couple that's struggling, if they won't get, call it quits, they, they'll stick in there and, and push through. Typically, within five to six years, their marriage will be a lot better than it was if they'll just keep at it, right? If they get the right people around them and they, and they keep working on the right things. It's hope. Saying, even though it's hard now, it doesn't mean it's the end of the story. There can be always a better ending, right? We can keep going forward. So faith, hope, and the last one he says, make sure you're growing in love, right? That we could consider how to spur one another towards love and good deeds. That we'll encourage one another to become better in, in those areas. And so whenever we meet together, he's saying, make sure we grow in faith, make sure we grow in hope, and make sure we grow in love. Paul echoes the same idea. In fact, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he says it like this. Now, these three things remain. These are the most important things, hope, faith, hope, and love. But if you have to choose one, he says, the greatest of these is love. It's the summary of Scripture. It's the summary of Jesus says, make sure you're loving one another, whatever you face. Make sure you don't, don't give up on that. So let's grow faith. Let's grow in hope. and uh, let's Faith, hope, and let's grow in love. And that everything we do will we'll, um, move towards that. So Jesus makes this statement. When it comes to um, our relationships, so Jesus is pro-relationship all the time. In fact, uh, this is what he says in John 8. He says this, uh, when Jesus began to speak again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what's really interesting in this statement that Jesus talks about, it says the word darkness, right? In, in the Greek, the original uh, word would mean misery. Um, so essentially, it's the ignorance, so darkness brings misery, which is the ignorance of divine things that's going to cause misery in your life. So people have miserable relationships 
they lack the understanding to have good relationships a lot of times. Or they lack the ability to do the things they need to do so that they can have good relationships. So what happens is when they follow their own way, they actually live in darkness in those relationships. They're, they're choosing misery or miserable relationships over healthy ones. And Jesus says, if, 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 I'm, if I'm in your circle, right, I'm going to bring light to your life that's going to expose things. That's going to say, hey, that shouldn't, you shouldn't do those things. That's, that's not healthy. And he helps us to see things that we wouldn't see ourselves. So he's bringing light that takes away the darkness, that t- takes away the misery. And that's his invitation to us when he invites us to have a relationship with him, is that he's going to help us to have healthy relationships. Right? John, uh, he, he, in fact, let me say this. So when, when Jesus is talking about relationships, he even makes a statement. He says, you know, if you're coming to the temple to worship, if you're going to church to worship, you're bringing an offering, but on the way there, or when you get there, you remember that you have odds against somebody. Like there's a brother or sister, there's somebody in your life that there's, there's not, the relationship's kind of broken. He says, time out. Don't even go to the temple. Go and fix that first, and then come to the temple, and then your worship will be acceptable. So he's saying your horizontal relationships, if they're not working, it's actually going to infect, impact and affect our relationship with, with, with God. And he says, these are important. Don't get these wrong. Don't, don't get these broken, right? Make sure you do the right thing. Peter takes that same idea, and he says, in fact, he talks to husbands. He says, husbands, if you're not treating your wives well, right, if you're not doing the right things, don't even expect your prayers to be answered. So, guys, if you're not loving what I'm asking you to do, if you're not doing the simple things that, that, that are in front of you, not necessarily simple, but, you know, sometimes they're hard. If you're not doing those things, don't expect me to even respond to your prayers. It's like the prayers, will be, they, they won't be answered. So get that thing right, and then come and ask me for those things, and then those things will work out as well. Why? Because God is so pro-relationship. He says, if your relationships are broken, even our relationship with God is not going to work as good as it can. And he understands that because our relationships, they impact everything in our life, even our relationship with God. And so he says, make sure that when you follow me, you'll, you'll have light. So John takes this idea even more, and he says this, anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So this last year, you know, if you're a Republican and you hate Democrats, right? You're living in darkness. If you're a Democrat, you hate Republicans, right? You're living in darkness. Whatever way that is, whatever way that works, you know, if there's people in your life that you just don't like, he's saying anyone who hates another brother or sister, they actually are living in misery. And they don't know it. You probably see them like, man, those are miserable people, right? There's nothing can go right. Everything's wrong. And if you don't think the way they think, you're wrong. And both sides have these extremes, right, where it's just, it's just, it's hard. And what John is saying, people that live like that, they actually don't even know it, but they're living in misery. They're, living, they're inviting misery into their life. They're inviting darkness. And here's the thing about darkness. Darkness is the only place that we give the, the enemy authority to live in. It's in your relationships, in your, whatever that is, in your family, in your marriage, and in, in other ones. If, if, you in, if you intentionally do the opposite of what God has, and, and, and you, 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 give, you give authority to the enemy to mess with you in that area. Because here's the thing about the enemy and about demons. You, I don't know if you know this or not, but they are law, law abiding citizens they don't break the law and so what god has said is there's authority structures that are in place and they can't supersede those authority structures but you can give them authority in your life by living in darkness so when you choose the shortcuts when you choose the cheap over the good when you choose the fast over the good you actually allow the enemy to mess with you in your life even like even coming into a building like this right so if you choose to live in the darkness you've given the enemy to have rights in your life even in spaces like this. But the moment you say, I'm going to live under the authority of Christ, I'm going to do what he asked me to do, they have no authority in your life. So darkness is the only place that we allow the enemy to have 
of right in our life. This is why he wanted Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to sin, so that he can get the authority that God gave to them originally. He could take it from them and then have domin- domination and dominate over the world, right? That's, that's, how, that's how, how we believe as, as Christians is we have an enemy who, who wants us to hate our brothers and sisters, who wants to bring division and discord so that we will live in the darkness. And those who are, they don't even know it. They don't even know where they're going, the Bible says, because the darkness has blinded them. Their own misery has blinded them. Their own uh, selfishness or their, whatever has blinded them, kept them away from what God has. So Jesus says, get your relationships, they're important, get them right. Because if you don't, nothing else matters, not going to work. So in a relationship, there's three things I always say we need to work on, right? If you want to have healthy relationships, you need to do three things. You need to sow, you need to invest, and you need to give grace, all right? So sow, invest, and give grace. Now, what I mean by this is in, in uh, every single day, we are sowing things, right? So in your relationships, if, if, if it's healthy, if it's working, I guarantee for the last few days, fast few weeks, fast few years, you've been sowing good seeds, and you're seeing the results of those good seeds that you planted. You know, you might think like, well, it's just, it's just one negative word, right? So one negative seed planted in somebody's life is not going to make a big difference. No, but that one small seed done a thousand times will produce a lot of weeds in somebody's life, right? So we think a lot of times we think, well, if I don't do anything, then, you know, I'm not going to have negative fruit. Well, how, how easy is it for you to grow weeds in your yard? Anybody? How easy? They just happen. The wind blows the seeds in, the tumbleweeds roll, and you have weeds, right? Instantly, they're there. And then you have to work to get them out. The same is true in relationship. If you're not doing anything, weeds will eventually pop up. They'll grow. And if you're intentionally sowing negative seeds, negative words, negative whatever, um, you'll get a lot of weeds in your relationships. We have to be intentional in what we sow. So there's a law in Genesis that says as long as the world exists, there's going to be seed time and harvest. Right? So you plant a seed, you get whatever you planted. You plant apples, you get an apple tree. Right? You plant, if you plant oranges and you get pineapples – I think our universe is broken. You should really be like, all right, God, I think it's time. The world's probably over, right? But as long as you plant apples, you should get apples. As long as you plant oranges, you should get oranges. As long as you plant weeds, you're going to get weeds. You're not going to get something different. So in our relationships, what are we planting on a daily basis? If you're planting weeds, right, negative things, you're going to get weeds in your relationship. But if you're planting positive things, if you're investing, right, so we sow, right, making we're sowing, we're investing. Investing means that we're saying no to something immediate right now. Like, wait, time out. I'm not going to just say yes to what's easy. I'm going to say yes to something that's going to produce something down the road. So I'm going to invest, right? I'm going to energy, time, finances into something that's down the road. In fact, Jesus says, um, if you want to know where your heart is, just look how you invest your time and your energy and your money. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And what we treasure is what we spend a lot of our time, energy, and resources on. So if you don't know where your heart is, look at how you spend time, energy, and money. And the final thing is grace. In our relationships, we need to learn to give more grace to each other. Isn't it interesting that um, when we judge somebody, it's always by their intentions? No, no, it's always by their actions, but when we judge ourselves by our intentions, well, I didn't really mean it like that, but you said it, right? But you did it. So in, grace is saying, I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. I'm, I'm going to give them what I would want them to give to me. That's what grace is. So when I get home, I don't know the kind of day sincerity had. So instead of assuming that she's thinking like me, instead of assuming, I come in giving grace, not knowing that maybe she had a hard day, right? My, my kids, when they get off of school, not to assume that they're just ready to go to the next thing, but give them grace to understand that I'm here to listen, right? It's, it's, an, it's, it's giving them what we would want others to give to us. It's following Jesus' example of saying, how did I treat you? Then treat others the same way I treated you. So it's giving to others what you want them to give to you. So make sure in your relationships you're sowing, you're investing, and you're giving grace over and over and over.
If you do that, your relationships will improve. They'll get better. But it's about us saying, how can I invest in the future? How can I continue to sow? How can I continue to help others? So one of the books, and actually I told a story, I think week two or three, from this book. It was a great story about a young kid that was going to be given up for, you know, to an orphanage. And then his mom, last minute, said, no, I'm keeping him. Uh, you can remember that story? A lot of you cried. I think you remember. It was in this book. So known by Dick and, and Ruth Foth. Wonderful book. So I always try to read multiple books on the, on the subject that we're our, during our series. This is one of the books I read that I just I thought it was great. Uh, it's, it's him and his wife. They're in their 70s, so they talked about you know their marriage, talks about relationships and uh, having deep relationships in a shallow world, right? So it's, it's it's just great. So if you want help, this would be a good book. But he makes this statement, and the reason I brought this up is because one, that's a good resource if you're looking for something to read. But two, he makes a statement about life. And he says this, uh, Dick Wolf. He says, if we are not experiencing God's love. We will always be seeking from others what only God can give us. They will always fail us because we have expectations from, from the friendship that they cannot meet. So in your relationships, and, and the reason I say this is because in the book he says, hey, if you miss everything else in this book, make sure you don't miss this part. He says if, if you put your expectations on others to fulfill everything in your life, you'll never be satisfied. And if you do relationships with ignoring the one another Christ talks about, you'll never be satisfied. It has to start with us experiencing God's love. And understanding there's things that only he can provide to us and give us. Like, for example, peace and joy. Like, people can add joy to us. They can add peace to us. But they can't give it to us, right? They can do things that can encourage it, but they can't give it to us. And when we expect, like, for example, if I expect sincerity to fulfill all my needs and to complete me, right? That's what kind of the lie that culture tells us is that they complete you. No, she doesn't complete me. She adds value to me. She multiplies me. But she doesn't complete me. Only God can really give me the things that I really desire. And what Dick is saying is, if you miss out on loving God, you'll always be looking to others to fulfill you. And people go from relationship to relationship to relationship, looking for them, finally be like, well, maybe this will be the one. No, because you're looking at the wrong, the wrong perspective. It's, it's kind of you're choosing misery. You're living in darkness because you're saying, I'd rather have my way than God's way. I'd rather follow through. And cause this is what God says, that you should be a man or woman of your word. That you even do it to your own hurt. When you commit to something, you do it to your own hurt. Even though it costs you more energy time, you follow through because that's what God is looking for. And he's saying, if you experience God's love, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the, the you, you begin to look to him to help you to understand what to do rather than looking to others to try to fulfill your, your world, your life. It's, it's the perspective that God says, let me lead you. And when you follow my example, you get to, you don't have to. It's a delight. It's, it's a joy. It's not, it's not a, a heavy thing you have to carry all the time. So here's my challenge for, for this week, all right? Um, would you get into a group of people who can challenge you, who can spur you to grow? You need people in your life that can challenge you and, and spur you to grow. And, and I would say don't wait. If you're not a part of something, create it. Start it, right? Whatever a small group is, get a few people around you, two or three people that can encourage you. So in our lives, this, this is what typically happens. When somebody wants a better marriage, they want a better um, body, right, physically or mentally, mental health or, or emotional health or, or finances, any area of our life, typically we're like, okay, what is the strategy that I need to do? What are the things I need to change to be able to get better results? And typically that's where we start, right? It's, it's a, I'm going to start with what I can do and input so I get a different output. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's not the best strategy, right? So if you want a, a better marriage and you've been struggling, it's not just saying I'm going to just start saying nice things. I'm going to start doing some things different. A lot of times you actually need the right thing to do. And if you want to be successful is you have to find the right person to help you become that. So your next level is always attached to somebody else, all right? If you want to get better in something, it's always attached to the right person. And if you're going to get worse in something, it's always attached to another person. 
our, 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 so the solution is say, how can I get the right people around me to help me to accomplish those things? If you want to learn Spanish, you don't go to a German teacher, right? You go to a Spanish teacher. You go to somebody who knows it, who's mastered it, somebody that can help you on, on the journey. And, you, and so in our groups, this is why groups are so important for us, because we know that when you get in a group of people, a healthy group of people, they're not going to allow you to stay where you are. They're going to challenge you to become a better version of yourself. They're going to push you. They're going to encourage you. If you want to become better, like if I wanted to get my golf game better, right? I don't play very often, but if I wanted to go and, and get my score down like 20, 20 hits, you know, um, I'd have to go see a coach. And they would, they would probably walk me back, like get rid of habits and then start over again because I probably developed things that aren't really good for me in the long run. And it would take a lot of time and energy. But if I found the right one, eventually I would become better in that area of my life. So what area of your life do you need to get better? The answer is not, let me just change something I'm doing now. The answer is always, who is the person I need to be around that's going to help me to get to the next level? Who is the person I can be connected to to help me have a better marriage, help me be a better parent, help me to be better at whatever it is? And so, like, our group's just started. This is a great way. If you want to have a better finances, tonight at 530 here at Grove Central, we have a financial group. They're t- teaching how to have better finances. And the leaders that are teaching it, they've actually shared their story a little bit last week, but with me, they even shared a lot. They were horrible at finances, but as soon as they got finances right, their marriage worked better. Their life works better. Now they can be generous. It's, it's just amazing to see when somebody learns the principles that God talks about that when it comes to finances, it gets better, right? So in your marriage, there's a marriage group on Friday. There's a relationship group on Tuesday. There's a freedom group here on Wednesday. If you want to get better, you have to get in a circle of people that are going to challenge you. Sundays are great to learn things. Groups is where we really grow, where we really are pushed to become that better version of ourselves. It's not about you. My wife says level up, right? My kids, they talk about leveling up. I think we all need to level up in different areas of our life. It's always attached to somebody. And as long as we wait, as long as we put it off and do nothing, all we'll get is a weed. But if we'll invest a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, we'll get out of our comfort zone and step into something that might be a little, maybe in the beginning might seem a little uncomfortable, you'll grow, right? You'll get some resistance in your life, like some weights. They'll give you some muscles. And that's a good thing. We need more of that. So would you get into a group of people who will challenge you, who will spur you on to grow? Would you be committed to meeting together? And don't wait for it. If you don't have that, would you create it? Get some people around you. Have a conversation. Maybe you have an addiction. You know, if it's an alcohol addiction, get into an AA group. If it's a narcotic, get into an NA group. If it's a marriage, get into a marriage group, right? Whatever the group is that you need, get into it. Guys, if you want a workout group, there's a workout group on Wednesday mornings. Wednesday mornings? Wednesday mornings. There's a female virtual group on Saturday mornings for exercise. Like, get in a group that can challenge you and encourage you to become better than you are now. So, John... Uh, 1334 Jesus says a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another here's my my challenge and my promise is that if you'll practice the one another that we've talked about these last seven weeks and the other ones that are in scripture your relationships will be healthy and if you neglect or ignore or practice the negative one another's your relationships will be full of weeds and they will not work the way you want them to. It's the, it's the principles and the promises that God put, the principles God put in place that make the world go round. And what we sow is what we're going to get back. So make sure you learn to sow good things by practicing the, the one another, by loving one another in those areas. All right? Awesome. Hey, we're going to end our service off and um, by time of, of, of prayer. And if you're in this room, you know, as I've talked about being a Jesus follower, you know, it means we're following his lead. Maybe some in this room is, would say, you know, I, I'm not following Christ. I'm doing my own thing. And uh, if you'd be honest, you'd even be able to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of what that scripture talked about. I'm living in darkness because 
I really don't even know what God's leading me to, to, to the way he wants me to live. Before you leave today, I would love to lead you in a prayer that just says, God, I want to follow your lead. I want to have you in my circle, right, that would help me to understand, to have light, to understand what the next steps are, how to move forward. I would like you to help me to get in the right groups. So the Bible says this, that we get forgiveness from God and we ask him for forgiveness, this comes from him. But until you get in a group of people that you can be honest with, you won't find healing. So forgiveness comes from God. Healing comes from confession to one another. So James, after the Jesus, he says, you find healing when you tell somebody that you can trust what's going on, what's happened. Now healing can come because you can address it, you can talk about it, you can move forward. Forgiveness is great. God wants to forgive us. But he also wants to be healed, and that's in a group of people. So the first step is saying, God, I want to get things wrong with you. Then how am I to get things right with others? So do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head today as we end. If you're here today or you're watching online, you can say, that's me. I need to get my relationship with, right with God first so I can get my relationship right with others. And today you'd like to start the journey by saying, God, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your example. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to put my, put my faith in you. So if you're in this room, and I'm not going to call you to the front, but just leave you in a prayer right there in your chair. If this is, you're in this room and that's you, would you do me a favor? Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm here today, and I need to put my trust in God. I need to follow his lead. I need to ask for forgiveness. Awesome. I see a few hands. Anybody else? Yeah, that's me. Awesome. For you that raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. and It's just an invitation of relationship with God and asking him to help you on this journey. For those that raise your hand, pray this with me. And for everybody else, would you pray with me also so that they're not praying alone? Say this. Say, Father God, today I put my trust in you. I want to follow your lead. I want to follow your example. Help me to do that. Forgive me of my mistakes, of my sin. Come into my life and lead me. I put my trust in you today. Thank you for giving me an example of how to live. Thank you for dying on that cross in my place. Today, I put you first. I follow your lead. Help me to have the right relationships so I can become the person you want me to become. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that prayed in the room and online. So good.